0: The story has been made into a book for readers everywhere.
1: The Outline, World Dispatch.
0: It's Thursday, August 17th, 2017. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Today on The Dispatch, Lewis Wallace visits Georgia to talk to one of the tens of thousands of immigrants being tracked with ankle monitors
2: on a single day in late 2016. There were almost 30,000 people on this kind of supervision. And William Turton takes a look at Trump's business councils.
1: They were already falling apart, so he decided to kill them.
0: Here's the dispatch. Power. In the state of Georgia, most misdemeanor probation is run by private companies. That means people are paying out-of-pocket for their own probation, and often also for ankle monitors. Lewis Wallace has been reporting on this industry for us. Hey, Lewis. Hey. So what kind of ankle monitors are we talking about here?
2: So are these black plastic clunky things that usually have some kind of GPS tracker in them, and some of them also monitor for alcohol. Uh, You can't take them off yourself or it sets off an alarm. And these ankle monitor companies usually provide both the device and the service of monitoring it. So they have a lot of customers. Some of those customers are, as you mentioned, city and county governments. uh, And the way that works is people with misdemeanors who are on probation get an ankle monitor as a condition of their probation, and then they pay for it themselves. So they usually pay an installation fee and then a daily fee for the monitor that can be $7 or $10 a day. But the biggest single customer for privatized electronic monitoring is the federal government, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, uses ankle monitors to keep track of undocumented immigrants that the agency has detained and then released.
0: So it's being pitched as, like, an alternative to incarceration?
2: Yeah. uh, ICE has been doing this for a few years now, and the program, which is presented as, you know, kind of better than being detained in a—effectively a prison—has grown a lot. On a single day in late 2016, which was the last time that ICE provided specific numbers for, there were almost 30,000 people on this kind of supervision. That was three times the number a couple years before. And it all goes through this one company. We already give you the power to build zones and track movements. All while collecting an immense amount of data. BI Incorporated, which is owned by the GEO Group, a big private prison company whose stocks have been doing very well since the presidential election. Including the new BI Locate tracking device. That company has a really lucrative federal contract, and then ICE presents it as a win-win because people get to be not in a detention center, and the government saves money. And you went to Georgia. And you actually met with someone who has been wearing one of these
0: ankle monitors.
2: Yeah, his name is Juan. We're not using his last name because he's afraid of repercussions from ice. So let me set this up a little bit. I drove down to LaGrange. It's in a really hot, dry area south of Atlanta. And I rolled up to this super rundown house with a bunch of locked doors and rotting door frames and stuff that obviously wouldn't be up to code if anyone was checking. I finally found Juan's door around back, and it was literally this one room. His brother was in there, his brother's teenage son was asleep in the bed, cockroaches. I literally saw razor blades on the floor. When I asked Juan to show me around the house, he kind of laughed and said, you know, there's nothing to see. Um, Juan started by telling us that he came here about a year ago.
3: El 28 de julio estamos aquí.
2: I'm going to just interrupt quickly to say that Spanish is Juan's second language. His first language is MUM, an indigenous Guatemalan language. He was talking to me through Gabby Del Valle, who works here at The Outline and speaks Spanish. Hey, Gabby. Hi,
3: Luis. I came here on July 28th, but
4: they put this monitor on me on the Mexican border. They haven't taken it off.
3: I go to the court in Atlanta
4: every 15 days. There's, I don't know
2: if it's a session or what, it's called ISAP. I think a lot of stuff about coming here has been tricky for Juan because no one can explain things to him in his native language. He got here, they put the ankle monitor on him and said, this is called ISAP, which stands for Intensive Supervision Appearance Program and just told him to check in every 15 days. So now he pays $120 to a guy who drives him the 70 miles to Atlanta and back for that visit every two weeks.
4: We came here because in Guatemala we don't have money. We don't have land. We have debt, too. And I was thinking maybe I could bring my kids here. Guatemala is very expensive, and there aren't good schools there.
3: That's what I was thinking, but now I don't know.
4: I thought maybe there would be freedom for me to work.
3: But we
2: came here, and I'm not allowed to work now that I'm here in Atlanta. So he's working part-time under the table at a restaurant. He's spending all his money on basics and on going to these ICE check-ins twice a month, And keep in mind, this whole time, Juan is wearing this black plastic thing on his ankle that he can't turn off or take off. When the batteries die, he has to find another ride to Atlanta to get them replaced.
0: So you said that some of these people are actually having to pay for the monitors themselves. They're paying for their own
2: probation. Does Juan also pay a fee just for his device? No, he doesn't pay the company directly. The feds pay the company. Um, But in some places, people do. Uh, There's an ankle monitor company called Libre by Nexus that will bail you out, get you out of immigrant detention if you pay them a fee. And that can be thousands of dollars up front plus a monthly fee for the monitoring of hundreds of dollars. That company right now is being accused of fraud in more than one lawsuit. So we asked Juan if coming here for him was worth it.
3: The United States.
4: I'm happy here, but my heart hurts because I want to work.
3: It's a little shameful.
4: Yes, of course I'm working a little bit, but under the table. How am I going to pay for my trip to Atlanta? How am I going to eat? How are my kids
3: going to eat? I'm
4: not free to work, and I'm always walking, and the monitor is always
3: on, so all I have to do is wait. I hope. I'm looking for
4: a lawyer. I asked the man at ISAP, sir, I want to work, how am I going to eat? No, the man said. No, No, you are not allowed to work. You can, but you need to find a lawyer, he said.
2: Um, What is your dream for your life in the United
3: States?
2: My dream is to have work, he says, so that he can pay for a lawyer to fight his pending deportation and eventually send some money home. So
0: what was your big takeaway after all of this reporting?
2: Well, I think there were two things. The thing that was most striking to me about Juan's story is that all of this was still worth it to him. He has a 15-year-old daughter who came over with him and goes to school here now. He has three kids and a wife back in Guatemala who might never even make it here. But basically, the situation has to have been really desperate back there because it's really not good for him here either. And then the upshot with the ankle monitors is that a company here in the U.S. is making so much money off keeping an eye on people like Juan, who was never convicted of any crime or anything. Under the current contract, it's around $50 million a year. And the more people that the U.S. detains, the more money the company stands to make.
0: CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies this week quit a presidential advisory council nominally focused on manufacturing jobs. This was because Donald Trump wouldn't stop defending Nazis. So many members left that the president ended the councils altogether yesterday. This is hardly a sacrifice, however, because all of Trump's business advisory councils are a sham. William Turton is here to talk about that. Hi, William.
1: Hi, Adrienne. You know, I think it's interesting that you say the president decided to dissolve these councils. I mean, that's what the president said, but what's being reported in the hours after his tweet is that the people on these councils decided together to disband them, and it wasn't really an action by the president. They were already falling apart, so he decided to kill them.
0: Right. They had already fallen apart, or they were heading in that direction.
1: Right. They were very close to just about everyone leaving.
0: So what were these councils? What what were they accomplishing?
1: So there's multiple councils. There was a manufacturing council. There was a strategy and policy council. There's a technology council. And there's an infrastructure council. And the two that disbanded yesterday were the strategic policy one and the manufacturing one. Those groups existed ostensibly to counsel the president on different policy issues and strategy things that were relevant. Economy,
0: creating jobs. Right. But they never really did anything.
1: Yeah, They never really did anything, and it's not like Trump is someone who would be willing to be swayed by the CEO of 3M, for example, that left the council before they disbanded yesterday.
0: It really seemed like the whole function of these councils was basically for photo ops and for news headlines.
1: Right. These councils were all created and existed at different times, but some of them, like the technology one, for example, existed during the transition. And during the transition, we saw photos of Apple CEO Tim Cook, Facebook's COO Sheryl Sandberg, all sitting in a Trump Tower conference room with Donald Trump.
0: I can understand what Trump gets out of this because it looks like he's taking action on the things he talked about during the campaign about getting American business rolling. But what do the CEOs get out of it?
1: The idea is that for the CEOs, they would have the president's ear, which previously throughout all of history has been a very valuable thing. You know, you can sway and influence the president. You can tell him about certain problems your company is having. You can tell him why certain legislation might be a bad idea. But this president obviously seems incapable of grasping these ideas. And I think the CEOs were realizing in the ones that were leaving before it disbanded yesterday that associating with someone who is actively defending Nazis and white supremacists isn't worth having the presidency here.
0: Some of these CEOs had already left over the Paris Accord and other things. What was keeping people on this council until they kind of started to drop and then they stopped existing?
1: So if you truly believe the idea that Trump is totally invulnerable to being influenced by reason or rational thought— then the only conclusion as to why people would still be on this council is because they're very worried about a dreaded Trump tweet. Um, and we saw this happen when the CEO of Merck, a pharmaceutical company, left the council. Trump tweeted about their, quote, in all caps, rip off drug prices. So you know CEOs might be in a tough place where they're like, my shareholders want me to stay on this board so I could maybe try to influence the president. And also we don't want to risk him tweeting mean things about our company.
0: What are the ramifications, what are the consequences for the president now that these councils have disbanded?
1: There's nothing really tangible about this except for the fact that it's a huge embarrassment for the president. He'll probably hold a grudge against all the people who are on these councils and decided to leave. And he'll realize that it doesn't look good for him. And I'm sure cable news will talk about it for days and he'll be watching it for days. It will probably end up being a major point of frustration for him.
0: William, thanks so much. Thanks, Adrian. That's it for The Dispatch. We're here with new episodes every Monday through Thursday. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to get a new episode each morning. You can find links on our website at theoutline.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Adrian Jeffries. More stories on Monday.